Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Onwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Unwemina will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Welcome to the Heme Consults Podcast. I am your host, Tayasi Unwemina, hematologist, physician scientist, educator, and more. Today's episode is called Create Life, and we're still on a theme from Genesis. But before I start the episode, I want to start by encouraging you, oh woman of color in hematology, that you deserve to be told the truth. And what is this truth? The truth is that you can, you have, and you will. Instead, what you may be hearing are lies like, you can't, you have never, and you won't. These lies are disguised as the truth of objectivity, careful observation, or careful measurement. But they are lies disguised as truth, trying to alter your perception of reality. And I counter these lies with the truth of your success. You have survived the odds to be here. You are defying the odds by being here. And because you've done it before, you will do it again. The truth is that you are a person in progress. You are becoming the you that you are meant to be. No, you don't need to be perfect. No, you don't need to shed your weaknesses. Your weaknesses make you beautiful because you are exactly what makes you beautifully human. You haven't given up in spite of them. Rather, you thrive because of them. Like every superhero, you have weaknesses, but in spite of your weaknesses, you are still a superhero. So when they gather to tell you that you suck or recommend that you can't hack it and you should quit, remind them that you are a work in progress. You're a strong and beautiful superstar who will defy all odds to become who she is. You are worthy of the position you occupy in hematology. And it's time to stop listening to the lies and instead start listening for the truth. Let's turn now to today's episode titled Create Life. And the story I want to share with you is a story of truth and lies. This time, I'm going to go all the way back to life at college when I first moved to the United States. The story begins with my applying to college. And at the time of my college applications, My father was a Nigerian diplomat stationed in Jamaica, and I applied to many schools along the East Coast. Well, things got out of control when one of the schools I applied to gave me a scholarship. So for my Nigerian parents, who were trying to send a child to school internationally, the scholarship actually sealed the deal for them. But for me, I hadn't even really wanted to apply to go to this college. Therefore, the scholarship made me sad. So yeah, its value was obvious to me. I got it. A scholarship was a big deal. But you know what? I I just didn't want to go to a woman's college. I just didn't. You know, 
I had actually intentionally not applied to this college until way past the deadline, just so I wouldn't get in, just so I wouldn't have to go to a women's college. See, I actually had gone to an all-girls middle and all-girls high school in Nigeria, and I, I really just felt like I had served my time. But this women's college was the only school that I had applied to um, that gave me a scholarship, and so I packed up my objections in a bag. <laughs> I made the move from Jamaica to the United States. So within three months of starting college in the United States, my father died unexpectedly. And this happened over Thanksgiving break. I was, I was devastated. See, I'd always been a daddy's girl. But the death aside and the tragedy of that aside, there was the real practical issue of whether and how I could afford my college education. See, my father had no life insurance policy that would kick in to pay for school, and my mother had given up working to follow her diplomat husband to Jamaica, and I, as an immigrant, had no legal authorization to work. In the midst of that tragedy, I discovered a new family at my college. They were determined that I would make it, that I wouldn't drop out of school. So the then director of financial aid, Parker, started working to see what was possible. Suddenly, he started finding all sorts of scholarships that I, as a non-American citizen, could apply for. So we applied for $1,000 here and $2,000 there. And slowly but surely, over many essays and applications, the money began to add up. And it started to look like I wouldn't need to quit, that I would actually be able to stay in school. The Office of Student Affairs also helped me figure out my work authorization. and. I was able to work on campus and help pay the bills, and then they helped me get a payment plan together, and I was able to make payments as I worked, as I earned money. At the same time, I found a mentor and a biology professor named Holly who invited me home the following Thanksgiving, and her family became a second family to me. All over the campus, I found people who believed in me, encouraged me, and told me that Anything was possible. It was a truly beautiful, lovely, and supportive time. My college was a place where people told me the truth of who I was, that I could do anything. And you know what? I believed them. I did. Well, fast forward to my first faculty position as an academic physician in hematology. When they told me my starting salary, I actually cried. Yeah, I, I shed tears. <laughs> it was so bad. I cried. And I, I did. I tried to negotiate. You know, they tell you you're supposed to negotiate, and I did. It was a feeble negotiation attempt by my standards today. But I did. I managed to raise my starting salary slightly, but it, it still wasn't going to be enough for my family. See, we had just moved across country, and we still owned a home with an underwater mortgage, and my husband had left his job to move with me, and he was in between jobs. And at the time, I owed over $200,000 worth of student loan debt that was increasingly ballooning because it had a variable interest rate and it had come due and it was time to pay it. So we had a lot of financial obligations in our move and the salary actually wasn't enough to cover it. So every time I got paid, we actually went into debt to make ends meet. <laughs> so here I was, a hematologist at a prestigious academic medical center, and I was borrowing money to make ends meet. You know, 
it was it was an awful salary and it actually didn't quite work. But I had made this decision intentionally, right? Because I had told you earlier that I made this move because they told me I could do research. <laughs> I made this move because I had chosen this institution specifically because of my ability to do research. Well, as I told you in an earlier episode, the problem with this research career that I came to do is that there wasn't space in the schedule for the research. Instead, I was seeing patients in clinic and, or in the hospital five days a week. And this is in addition to my home life where I had a two-year-old and a newborn baby. And this was a newborn baby who wouldn't drink milk from a bottle and she wouldn't sleep at night. So it was a challenging time because I would leave my daytime job that I actually really didn't sign up for to do the one I actually really wanted to do on nights and weekends, and then also care for young children. And it was a hard time, but I had come, I had come to, to this dream, and they told me that, that this is the way I could accomplish the dream. So I was, I was trying to make it work. Over time, I started to receive research opportunities in cardiology. <laughs> Here I was, a hematologist. Doing work in the space of cardiology. Is there something wrong with this picture? At the time, these were the opportunities that I had been offered, and I was assured that they would help me succeed. And so here I was, a dutiful soldier, working hard, trying to squeeze water out of this rock. And you know what? Against all odds, water came out of this rock. (laughs) Some of my projects actually began to get funded. And I gradually moved this nighttime career in research to the daytime. Well, at the time I made the major move to a daytime research career, I also was promoted to the role of director of a clinical unit. And uh, of course, this job came with no resources. And, but I was told that, hey, this is a really important move for your career. And so, of course, I took the job. <laughs> And then the pandemic hit. So during the pandemic, this unit experienced many staffing shortages and losses that compromised important programs in our hospital. And that actually caused hospital leadership to really begin to pay close attention to this unit. And I I was vocal about some of the challenges that were going on in the unit. And I don't think my my, my vocalization of these problems was very, very much accepted. But anyway, here I was, as things were unfolding in the unit, I was, I was doing my research job during the daytime, but now I had a new nighttime job as director of this unit, and I, I was really struggling. And in fact, I was miserable. And the situation deteriorated to the place where I got called to the office, and I was asked to step down from my director role. My job performance, I was told, was poor. And, and then my supervisor uttered words that still ring in my ears today that I immediately recognized as a lie I would not accept. And those words were, some people are just no good at leadership. When I heard these words, I was done. I was done. You know, I had accepted a low starting salary that couldn't support my family to do a research job on my own time 
to work on a project unrelated to my field and then given a director job without resources in the middle of a pandemic situation I did not create and I was just no good at leadership. I had done everything I was told and to finally be told something I recognized as a lie. There was a group of people who could be good at leadership and I wasn't one of them. I was done. It was the final straw and I quit. So in the process of quitting, I was waiting to sign my new job contract. (laughs) This was for a job that would more than double my salary. It was like, oh, I'm done. I'm going. I thought I would let my pastor of almost 20 years know that, you know, hey, I am taking another job, moving out of state, sayonara. (laughs) But when we met, I shared my story and he was like, hey, 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 you need to talk to my wife. Because she was also in academic medicine. You know, at the time, she was dean of a college of pharmacy. And and he was like, "You, you need to talk. You need to talk to her before you make this final decision. And from my perspective, I was like, the decision is made. But I'm going to talk to her because I've known you all for 20 years and, hey, it, it makes sense to have this conversation. So anyway, we met over breakfast and she told me a number of things. But one of the things that really sticks out to me is she told me that, hey, you know what? There's snakes everywhere. The higher you go, the bigger the snakes are. And you have to decide. You have to decide where you take this battle. The battle is inevitable. She told me She told me I needed to, to decide whether I would face the battle now or wait to fight it later, but that the battle was inevitable. And it was really the first time in my situation that I considered the possibility of a fight. And I did fight. (laughs) I negotiated out of a terrible job situation. I stopped working nights and weekends. I negotiated a financial package for my research. I doubled my starting salary. And I started working on projects that I cared about in hematology. I now have the best job in the world for a salary that meets my family's needs, answering research questions that will change the face of hematology. I can now say with confidence that I love my job. And I love my job because it's the one I'm creating. It is no longer a job that others were creating for me. All right, that was the story. Now, what are the lessons from my story that I want to share with you? The first lesson is that life is created when people believe in possibility. Life is created when people believe in possibility. In the story of my life in college, people believed that this immigrant girl could succeed. And that was the truth that they believed and shared with me. And because they believed this truth, they worked to confirm the truth. The truth to them was that I wouldn't have to quit school, that I could make it work, and that I could succeed. And because they believed these truths, they created opportunities for me. And because they told me the truth about myself, I believed their truth, and I lived that truth. And life was created. Abundant life is created when people around you believe the truth of who you are and demonstrate this truth by having faith in you. And their faith in you comes not because of what you've done, but because of who you are. 
Life is created when you look beyond the outward appearance that puts people in boxes to their inner potential as a member of the human family. I enjoyed life at college because people believed in me and they gave me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to succeed. I thrived because an environment was created that supported life. Lesson number two. Death happens where people lack faith. In my story of my life in my first faculty job, you know, I I couldn't be much. And I couldn't be much because people believed the lie that I couldn't be much. And maybe they believed these lies because of my gender, my nationality, the color of my skin, because of their ideas of who could or could not succeed in research. They believed the lie that I couldn't. And because they believed that lie, they shared it with me. And I accepted those lies as truth, right? I accepted them as truth because I began to live the realities of those lies by accepting a salary that wasn't enough, relegating my dream job to my own family time, and doing research in a field in which I had no interest. I was in an environment where people did not believe in me, and because they didn't believe in me, they didn't create the space I needed to succeed. They withheld resources, encouraged me to take positions that fit their own imagination of what my life should look like, and then they came down hard in judgment against me when I failed by their standards. In essence, they were working hard to fulfill their lies that someone like me could not succeed in the way that I had said I wanted to succeed. And they proved themselves to be right because as long as I accepted their lies as truth, I didn't do any work to counter their lie. It was not until I recognized the blatant lie for what it was that people like me couldn't succeed in leadership That was when I decided I was going to leave an environment that brings death. And I started looking to create life. Because I recognized that the lies that surrounded me in the environment that I was were limiting my potential. Lesson number three. When you reject lies and embrace the truth, it allows you to become a person the world has never seen before. See, when I decided that other people's definitions of me were not compatible with who I was and who I was becoming, I rejected their view filled with lies in favor of a view filled with truth. What I really did was reject their version of me as a finite person who was already determined with no capability of changing. If you tell me that I I am just no good at leadership. It tells me that I'm predetermined to be, to be bad at leadership. There's no opportunity for me to change. I rejected a finite label of someone who was already determined with no capability of changing. And instead, I accepted the view of myself as a person in creation, a woman in progress. Now, people will always have labels for me. Black, female, emotional, aggressive, loudmouth. <laughs> if we're going to live with labels, how about, how about leaving behind the labels that diminish me and choosing labels that empower me? Woman of color, physician scientist, 
thought leader, innovator, entrepreneur. But the truth is that none of these labels are actually enough to define me. What is true is that what I will be has not yet been decided. It is currently being created. And I am in the process of partnering with my purpose to both figure it out and create it as I go. Because I have unlimited creative power and I am using this unlimited creative power to redefine who I am, not by the lies of other people's limitations, but by my limitless capacity of my creative imagination. <laughs> Ooh, I love that. So, so what does that look like for me today? It looks like a physician scientist who's working to bring patients with rare blood disorders to early diagnosis. It looks like supporting young women of color. And it looks like establishing a business that teaches women to negotiate. And you know what? It is still unfolding because the life I am creating is now based in truth and anything is possible. So what are my calls to action? My first call to action is that you create life by rejecting the lies of the outside view and looking to the truth of the inner potential. Create life by rejecting the lies of the outside view and instead look to the truth of the inner potential. See, the outside of a person is the easiest part of a person to see. You know what's outside can be seen from a distance. You don't need to come close. You don't need to come close to judge a person by their gender, the color of their skin, or to assign them a life status based on what everybody else is doing. Making judgments while looking at a person from the outside can only lead to putting them in boxes. And by the way, your boxes are limited and based on your life and personal experience. These boxes are actually full of lies because they don't have the inside information of the truth of what's possible in this person. And so if you're going to create life, you need to come close enough to discover the truth of who a person really is. You've got to discover their inner potential. Discovering the truth takes time, effort, and sacrifice. But what it does is it allows you to come close enough to see this person as a unique individual. Because when you come close and you see this person as a unique individual, you recognize the truth. You recognize the truth that all your boxes don't fit this person. None of your boxes do. Now, you may not always have the bandwidth to get to know people personally. Yeah, and if you can't get to know them, then you don't have the power to get to know their inner person. But refrain from creating the debt that comes through judgment. The debt that comes through judgment that comes from believing lies. <laughs> Instead, give people space to become the truth of who they are want to become. Just give people space to be. Create life by embracing the truth of their inner potential. My second call to action is that you reject the lies that bring death. You know, for the longest time, you may have had an identity that people and circumstances have helped create. And much of this identity is steeped in the lies that people have told you about what you can and cannot achieve and who you can and cannot be. And you have lived so long in this identity that it's hard to separate the lies from the truth. After all, it would be a shock to you and to the world that you could be any different from the person that they have always known 
Well, really, truly, the person they've always imagined. And it's okay. It's okay because the old you was fine for that season. But the old you was never meant to live forever. From the beginning, the old you had an expiration date. And that expiration date came the moment you began to see the truth of who you are. And you can feel the death of the old you coming because you're restless and irritable. You know the change must come. It's why you're listening to me. Because you are discovering a truth that changes the way you engage in your, life, in your career in hematology. And you're going to need to do the hard work of rejecting lies of perceptions that limit your potential. And instead, I want you to embrace the truth of your limitless potential. My third call to action is that you embrace the truth that you are creating something that has never been seen before. See, the reason you struggle is because you don't look like them. You don't look like them, not because of the color of your skin, but because you've chosen to stop living the lie in favor of the truth. You don't look like them, not because of the color of your skin, but because you have made the choice of truth that is leading you to create something that no one has ever seen before. It's leading you to become someone that no one has ever experienced. And people will resist this change. <laughs> They'll resist this change because they haven't seen it before. And nobody wants to change from what they already know. They resist change to, def to default paradigms until it is clear, until there's a new paradigm that's here to stay. So who you're becoming and what you're creating in hematology is something neither you nor the world has ever seen before. Therefore, I'm going to end my call to you by saying, don't let the things that you can see prevent you from creating the things no one has ever seen before. All right. <laughs> that ends today's episode. As you go, I want to encourage you to start doing the work of immersing yourself in truth so that you can clearly recognize the lies when they come. What does the truth look like? It looks like life and creation. It looks like abundance, possibility, faith, and encouragement. So you also go out and start spreading truth because that is the way you're going to change the face of hematology. Enjoy this week. You came to this week to make incredible things happen and you will succeed. Thank you for listening. Let's continue the conversation online at www.coagcoach.com. I'll see you next time.